My name is Sherry. Some of you might be saying, what is she doing up there? Um, I, this, I love this church. Um, my husband is Jeff Surratt, who's one of the teaching pastors here at Front Range. Um, my son is Mike, who's executive pastor here. My daughter, Brittany, is a sound engineer running sound in the back today. We are a ministry family, and I got to tell you, we love Front Range. I just want to say welcome to Front Range, where you can build community. You can discover your purpose and grow in your faith. This is a phenomenal church. And you know, I get the privilege of serving in children's ministry, and um, I work with your brilliant children. In fact, I was back last week working with the kindergartners, and I got to tell you, moms and dads, it looks like fun, right? And it is fun. When you drop your kids off, we're playing games, we're having lots of fun, but we get down to serious business there. So we talk about Bible stories and what that has to do with your child's life and what God has to do with them and how Jesus wants to be their friend forever. We talk about big stuff. This is really cool. We were having a lesson last week about um, we can trust God no matter what. That's one of the things that we say in children's ministry often. And one of my kindergartners, we were talking about times when we trust God. And here's what one of the kindergartners said. He said, yeah, but what do we do when we don't know what to do? What a great question, right? We get to, in children's ministry, we get to pray, we get to talk with your kids. Um, it's why I choose to serve there, because I feel like that's one of the biggest ways we can make a difference. Um, Ariel was up here a while ago. She leads our children's ministry. You can talk with her about volunteering there. I also work at an organization called One Hope, and we work around the world, and our tagline is God's Word Every Child. As an organization, we focus on bringing God's word to every child, even children in North America as well. And you know, I want to before we go any further, I want to invite you into something really cool that's happening next week. We're starting a new series called For the Church, For the City. And we're talking about our future as a church and the next steps that God has for us individually and as a church. Now, in true Front Range fashion, we're going to kick off this series with a party, right? French Front Range does this so well. We're going to have free Kona ice for everybody, free t-shirts. It's going to be just a family kind of party time to kick off this incredibly critical um, message series. So you will not want to miss it. You know, we've been in a message series called In God We Trust. And um, we have talked about such incredible things. We've talked about how we can trust God no matter what. It's cool that our kids talk about the same things that we talk about in here. We've also talked about in the midst of crazy culture, we can stand up for Christ. And last week, Pastor Ernest talked to us about how when we are in trouble, God is our rock and fortress, and God supplies everything we need. You know, this is the last message in our series, In God We Trust, and we're going to talk about what I think is a little bit of a tricky topic within this series, and we're calling this message, When Christians Get It Wrong. Do Christians make mistakes? Yeah, we can look around at each other, right? And we can say, yeah, there are times when we absolutely get it wrong. You know, I'm thankful for Front Range because this is a place where we come together and we say, we do the best we can to follow what God tells us to do. We lean into his word and we ask for his wisdom. But let's be honest, sometimes as Christians, we get it wrong. 
I gave my heart to the Lord, asked Jesus to come in and be my Savior when I was all of seven years old in my Assemblies of God Church in St. Charles, Missouri. I grew up um, as a Midwest girl, and it was a wonderful church, and they taught me Bible stories and Bible verses that have carried me through my life. It was also a place of rules, and some of you might be able to, to relate to this. Growing up in my church, my theology was a lot of times based on do's and don'ts. And here were just a few of them. You do go to church every time the doors are open. You do tithe 10% of every dime you make, and you best count it to the penny because God is the one who invented math. You dress up for church every time. You always go to Sunday school. Sunday school was an hour before we actually had our regular church, so it was like a pre-church, and you always go there. You can only sing songs out of the hymnal because, well, God must like big words, right? No. Um, you know, there were also don'ts attached to my church, too. And these are the ones that kind of stuck with me. You don't miss church when the doors are open. You don't wear sleeveless shirts. Now, to church, now, I have no idea what that one was about. I didn't know if there was, like, something about arms, but that was a rule that you just didn't wear sleeveless shirts to church. You don't go to movies, you don't go to dances, you don't smoke or chew or go with boys who do, right? Cool rhyme, right? I think that was more from my mom. <laughs> you know, none of these rules were bad on their own, but many of them had nothing to do with having a real relationship with God. Maybe you grew up in a church like mine where rules were truth and they were meant to be followed. Or maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. But maybe you grew up in a home that had lots of rules and your parents kept strict do's and don'ts. Maybe you're sitting here today and just the topic of strict rules kind of makes you a little bit antsy because maybe you've been hurt by somebody who got it wrong when it came to the rules. Maybe you were at the other end of the spectrum like this church that um, my husband found this doctrinal statement of a church online. And this is what it says. We value the liberty of individual conscience, the call of every person to live out their own journey, and the responsibility of each of us to show up in all of our personal fullness and be a unique refraction of the light of love. Now, I got to tell you, when I read this, I went, wait, what? What are they talking about? You know, if I were going to paraphrase their doctrinal statement, here's, here's what I would say. It's all good. Just show up in all your fullness, whatever that means. I had to read this over several times and ask myself, what is this church about? Do you get to decide what's right? Do I get to decide what's right? How do we know if we're right in deciding what is right or wrong? What if showing up in all my fullness means that I show up as a pain in the butt? You know, when I think about a world like this, I automatically think, what would it be like with your kids? So let's just imagine your spouse comes home and says, honey, what's up with the kids? They're in the kitchen eating Skittles and drinking uh, Dr. Pepper. And you say, oh, I told them they could have whatever they want for dinner. Well, did you know that our oldest just said he hasn't changed his underwear in three days? Yeah, I told him that decision's up to him. Right? No way would we run our family like that. We can't have a world without rules. 
My, pl- my church that I grew up in was a place of rules based on a rigid sense of what was right or wrong. You know, the other church that I mentioned is a place where anything goes, a place with no structure at all. It's opposite ends of a polarizing scenario of extreme grace or extreme truth. Our message today is about when Christians get it wrong. And I think this is one of the areas where it's easy to get it wrong. Should we follow a strict line of truth? Or should we pursue all grace? Or is there a perfect balance between the two? You know, if I were going to sum these up, these two positions, I would say it like this. All truth says it's black and white, pass or fail, in or out. The problem with that is that no one can actually live up to such a standard. You know, I think back, did I ever wear a sleeveless shirt to my church? I probably did. If we can put a name on it, it's called legalism, living up to a certain standard. If you wear your skirts too short, God's not going to let you in. If you don't show up every time the church doors are open and you don't serve in three different areas and you don't talk like a good Christian, well, then you're in trouble. The end result of legalism is shame. And this isn't how God says we should live. But let's look at the other side. The other side is all grace. And all grace says, do what feels right to you. No right, no wrong, don't worry about that. You do you, you decide. There is no objective standard, no goal, no truths we have to follow in all grace. If we were gonna put a name on that, it would be hedonism, living for yourself making yourself happy, and we all know that doesn't end well. You know, if we were going to put the result of that on hedonism, it would be emptiness. And this isn't how God says we should live, live either. But you know, here's the problem. If we go too far to one side, one or the other, it can get us into trouble. You know, you probably have a proclivity toward one or the other. I do. And it may have something to do with the way that you were raised or your past experiences. Maybe you were raised in a high rule, kind of oriented truth culture, and now maybe you swing the other way or vice versa. I'm going to put a line up on the screen right now, and this is a continuum, where one side is truth and one side is grace. And I want you to take just a minute. Where would you kind of lend yourself? Where do you think you might lean more, right? And we know that nobody ever does it perfect, so nobody's right in the center. But would you say you lean a little bit more toward rules and grace when you're dealing with other people, or would you lean a little bit more toward grace? Okay, so now that you've had just a second to think about it, who says that they would lean a little bit more toward the grace side? Anybody? Yeah. Who thinks that they might lean a little bit more toward truth? Yeah? Okay, these are my people, right? So this was me, and this still is me. I have to be really careful with myself because I'll find myself really leaning into rules. I'm a rule follower, and it has a lot to do with the way that I was brought up. You know, my husband, Jeff, he pokes fun at me because I'm such a rule follower that when I'm in a situation where somebody is teaching or maybe even giving a a message at a church and you have um, some fill-in-the-blank notes, right, and... Um, I am such a rule follower. The rule is every blank must be full. When I'm listening, uh, if I happen to miss one, I'm cheating off the paper of the person next to me. Like, what was that answer? What was that? Because for me, I have to have every blank fill. That's the rule. 
And you know, maybe when we were thinking about the continuum, maybe you thought about different types of people and how they elicit different responses from you. You know, here's something that's true. We tend to extend more grace toward ourselves and apply rules to other people. And here's how this works sometimes in my life. Did you see how he cut in front of me uh, in traffic with his new Range Rover? I think he should get a ticket for that. That was really rude. Now, never mind that last week, I kind of rolled that stop sign and didn't get caught. You know, she is always late. She knows that we start at 9 o'clock, not 9.02. Why is she always late? Why can't she get it together? But when I'm late, well, of course, that's unavoidable. You know, it's a dilemma, this grace or truth thing. Which side is right? And here's the great news. Jesus enters with a third option. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that verse starts out and says, the word became flesh. They're talking about Jesus there. And it says in this verse, Jesus was full of grace and truth. He doesn't swing from one to the other. He doesn't live on a continuum where you lean toward one side or lean toward the other. He exhibits both fully at one time. That sounds difficult, doesn't it? But here's what's really cool, is Jesus models this for us. And we're going to dive into a story today that maybe you've heard before. And it's the story of a woman who was caught in adultery. And it's in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11. You can follow along um, if you have your Bible with you, or if you want to follow on, along with verses on your phone, or you can just look on our screen and follow along. And here's the context of this story. Jesus had been traveling around, going from town to town and speaking, and the Pharisees, the, the law keepers, didn't like it at all. Because when Jesus would go into a town, a big crowd would gather. In fact, he was becoming a lot more popular than the law that the Pharisees were talking about. And so here's where our story begins in verse 3. As he was speaking, they're talking about Jesus, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Now, I think that those first sentences are a little bit a little bit interesting, right? So they caught her in the act. What were they doing, sneaking around and peeking in windows? Here's the other thing that I think is interesting, is they only brought the woman. Now there has to be two for adultery to happen, right? But they only brought the woman. And here's what's interesting is the law at that point said, if somebody is caught in that, both the man and the woman have to be brought forward. But that's not at all what happened. So our story continues. Jesus, they said to, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And the Bible doesn't tell us any more about that, but that Jesus just stooped down. And here's what was going on. The religious leaders knew that somebody caught in adultery, they're supposed to be put to death. Jesus knew that as well. But Jesus knew um, that he could immediately rebuke these leaders for breaking the law, but he didn't do it because he knew that they knew that the man and the woman was supposed to be brought up, and they didn't do it. He could have pointed that out. 
He also knew that the law said the penalty for this was death. But if he just stuck to the law, he knew this raised a problem as well. Because the law said Jews are not permitted to kill under Roman law, and Jesus was a Jew. If he puts her to death, he's broken the law. If he doesn't, he's broken the law. Jesus was caught in the middle. Have you ever felt this way? Maybe with a coworker, or one of your kids, or a spouse. Maybe a situation arises, and if you, you know, if you point out the mistake, it's going to blow into a big thing. If you don't, the situation doesn't get resolved. So let's see what Jesus did. In verse 7, it says, They kept demanding an answer, these religious leaders. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Here's what Jesus knew. The penalty for sin is death. And we have all sinned. Truth without grace is death to all sinners. Let's look at verses 8 through 9 in chapter 8. It says, Then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. Again, a second time. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now imagine this. So they had just been shooting questions at Jesus. What are you going to do about this, right? And so Jesus answers back, Okay, well, the person who throws the first stone, let that be a person who is perfect, who has never sinned before. These religious leaders knew that they have been caught, and so they're kind of slinking away. And now it's just Jesus with the woman. Here's the reality. We want truth for others, and we want grace for ourselves. And Jesus knows that it doesn't work that way. Then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Don't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's a powerful sentence that Jesus just said. He spoke truth and grace in the same breath. He said in this sentence, I didn't come here to condemn you. I'm here to give you life. And here's why grace is so important. It cancels condemnation, and this is for all believers. This is for each one of us who have come to Jesus before and asked him into our life, and we believe. Here's what Romans 8 verse 1 says. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So what can we learn from this story having to do with grace and truth? Jesus grounded his conversation in loving truth with his words, go and sin no more. Jesus was clear here. He called it sin. Adultery is sin. It has consequences. Jesus didn't shy away from this. Here's the reality. Truth doesn't change. And this woman, while not condemned, now had to walk in the consequences of her sin. Remember, she was brought up in front of everybody. Everybody knew what she did. And now she has to go live in that same town, knowing that everybody else knows what she did. But she walks in freedom. The law said she deserved to be put to death. That's not what happened. She now has a new start, and she's free to go forward and live a life without sin. Here's what's so powerful about this story. Grace and truth together is transforming. 
we can accept the truth when it's bathed in grace. And grace has the amazing power to save us. You know, remember the continuum line that I put up well ago? There's a problem with this illustration because if you're putting yourself on this line, when you move toward grace, you're moving away from truth. When you're moving toward, toward, toward truth, you're moving away from grace. Jesus did neither of these. He pursued both at the same time. Now, I don't know that this is a perfect illustration, but I think it illustrates Jesus' model a little bit better. It's this, two lines, grace and truth, moving in the same direction at the same pace. It sounds simple, but it's not easy. And I have to be honest, as I was preparing this to be able to share today, several examples came up when I have blown it, when I have gotten it wrong. Um, I thought back to about five years ago, I had an interaction with an extended family member who I love, but he has a temper. And I was visiting him, and we had some other family there as well, and the visit escalated into something really ugly. And this person um, became really, really angry and screamed something really hurtful at my mom. Well, I came apart and shouted at this family member and said, you're not acting like a Christian. And then I gave him a whole list of things that I didn't like about the way that he was acting. And I even brought up other incidences in the past when he had not acted how I thought he should act. And I told him how he could do better. In other words, I lost it. You know, here's the reality about the times when I've lost it. I always regret it. Can you relate to that? I look back and wish I hadn't lost control, hadn't said it in the way that I did. I, hadn't, I wish I hadn't acted like that. I wish I could have taken what I said and pushed it back into my mouth like it had never happened. Here's what I really wished. I wished that I had kept the picture of Jesus in my mind, of pausing before I spoke and taking a moment to ask God for help, but I didn't. I let myself be blinded to what was really going on. You know, this family member was beginning to lose their memory, and he was scared. The reason why we were there, why the family had come alongside, was because we were in the midst of packing up his house that he had lived in for 30 years. And he was afraid. He didn't want to go. Now, did that let him off the hook for how he treated my mom? No, not at all. I needed to address it. I needed to say something. But I could have led with grace and truth and shown compassion and empathy just like Jesus did. You know, sometimes we mess it up. This is why Jesus died for me and why he died for you. This is why his grace is for all of us. You know, this grace and truth thing is really hard. But it's a big deal if we're serious about discipleship and becoming more like Jesus. And I don't want to throw up just some simple, easy answers to be able to help you, but these are some things that actually have helped me in my life, and I just want to share them with you. Here's the first one, right in the dust. Right in the dust. What was Jesus writing? We don't know. You know, it wasn't an accident that Jesus didn't pop off an answer as soon as the questions were asked, and he was being pressured, right? It would have been easy for him to just reply very quickly, but he didn't. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus was doing, but here's what I imagine. I think he might have been taking a holy pause. Maybe he was creating the space for God to work 
in those religious leaders' hearts. Maybe he was even asking God for help. Maybe he was calling on the Holy Spirit to do some work in that situation. You know, there are lots of examples in the Bible where Jesus reached out to his heavenly Father for help. You know, there are times, many times, we need to follow Jesus' example of a holy pause. I love this verse in James uh, chapter 1, verse 5. I read it often and repeat it to myself. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Here's what this verse reminds me of. All the wisdom I need, God's got it. And he's generous. He's w waiting for me to bring my situations to him, and then he will share his wisdom with me. You know, this can look as simple as a breath prayer in the moment. Sometimes when we're in these situations and we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say, we can take a moment and even just under our breath, just whisper, God, I need your wisdom. God, help me. I don't know what to do or what to say or how to react. When we stop and we pause, when we take a holy pause to invite God in, it gives us a moment to slow down. God can bring to our heart and to our mind the context of the moment. And God will guide us in what is needed in the situation if we'll pause and let him. So right in the dust. Here's number two. Immerse yourself in grace and truth. Immerse yourself in grace and truth. Now, how do we do this? You know, here's something that is true. Nothing transforms us like spending time in God's word. How many of you ever feel like, man, I need to be transformed? This is a regular thing with me. I'll be in situations and I'll think, I can't depend on my own thinking here. I can't depend on my own reactions. I need to be transformed. That's what spending time in God's word is all about. You know, God's word has things for us, practical things, to be able to apply in our lives to figure out how should we respond to people. Here's one of the simple scriptures that I think is so profound. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And here's what this verse is saying. You know, I know you want to follow the truth. I know you want to keep the law. And we also want to apply grace. It's all summed up right here in this verse. Think about how you want someone to treat you. How do you want someone to treat you? You don't want to be yelled at or preached at. You also don't want to be written off or placated. You want compassion. But you also need authentic truth that's grounded in something that can help. So how do we saturate ourselves in grace and truth that can transform us? Here's just a couple of easy ways to do this. Spend time in the book of Matthew. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament, and it's such a great book because it tells the story of Jesus and has some of Jesus' foundational teachings to his disciples and to the people, the Jewish people. And he talks about how to live and navigate culture in fact, in chapter 5, you'll find a roadmap that Jesus laid out for his disciples called the Beatitudes that lets us hear his heart on how to treat people and how to react in hard situations. Here's what I do when I go through a book of the Bible. I stop, sometimes in the middle of a chapter or at the end of the chapter, I'll write down some notes 
And then I'll go back and I'll read my notes at the end of the chapter and say, God, what of this do I need to start acting on right now? God, what do you want to say? God, what do you want to show me? Start in the book of Matthew with such great principles that we can apply to our lives in hard situations. Here's something else you can do. I stumbled across this reading plan. A reading plan is just a simple way, uh, maybe a daily reading or a weekly reading where we can learn about something, and then there are verses of the Bible attached to it. There's a really good one called Unlimited Grace, and it's in YouVersion. YouVersion is an app that you can download, and it helps you read scriptures, but it also has reading plans that apply to things in your life. This is just one of the reading plans that talks about grace, and here's what this one does. It lets you sit in grace. It reminds you of the incredible times that God has given you grace. And here's what's so powerful about that. When we remind ourselves of the grace that we have received, that we haven't deserved, then it helps us apply it to others. Saturate yourself in grace and truth. So what could this look like in our lives? As I was talking about this message, Jeff told me a story that made me laugh, but I thought it was so good. He was about 10 years old and had gotten a BB gun for his birthday. And he was out, and doesn't that make you kind of go, oh, <laughs> right? 10-year-old boy with a BB gun. And he was out in his neighborhood shooting it. And he shot a neighbor's window. And the neighbor came out and brought him over and said, um, son, you shot my window, right? And he expected her to be really angry. She wasn't. She talked to him a little bit about you know, you got to be careful where you shoot this, and you really need to be careful with this BB gun. Now, Jeff was really surprised because he thought in the moment, he thought, oh, I'm busted. She's going to walk me over to my dad by my ear, right? And she's going to demand that this BB gun be taken away. That's not at all what she did. In fact, when she talked to him about being careful with the BB gun, here's the sentence she said next. Would you like a popsicle? Would you like a popsicle? Here's what this neighbor knew. She knew the context of a 10-year-old boy and how he probably isn't going to be as careful as he needs to be. But then she decided, I'm going to show him some love. Jeff said every time he ran into her after that, she said, would you like a popsicle? She knew that he needed truth, but he also needed the grace in the form of a popsicle. So here's a story about me when grace and truth transformed my life. When I was in college... As a freshman, I had just enrolled in college, I took a writing class. And um, part of the assignment in this writing class was you had to write a poem every single week. And um, I hated writing poems, I wasn't good at it. And I got behind, so I was several weeks behind. And here's what I did, I'm really embarrassed to say this, but I found a poem in a book, and I copied it, and I put my name on it. I knew it was wrong. I was trying to justify it in my own, I don't have time, I've gotta catch up, right? Well, I got caught, and the professor called me in, and he said, did you know that cheating, plagiarism, can get you kicked out of this college? Yeah, I did know that. Did you know that, that cheating and plagiarizing something will get you an F in this class and get you kicked out? Yeah, I also knew that too. I knew the truth, but I needed to be reminded of the truth in the moment. But this is what stuck with me. My professor said, you're better than that. I want you to show me how much better than that you are. I didn't get kicked out. 
I didn't get enough. That's exactly what I deserved. But instead, I got shown undeserved grace. And that has stuck with me to this day. So I want to ask you, let's go back in our thinking to the story of the woman who was caught and put up in front of everybody. Where do you see yourself in this story? Maybe you identify with the religious leaders. Are you demanding others live by truth while letting yourself off the hook? Are you letting the truth outpace your grace? Have you been quick to let others know how they can do better, like I did with my family member? Here's a question that I'd like for you to take a minute and think about this. Who in your life desperately needs to experience grace? And as you ask yourself that question, maybe God right now is bringing someone to your memory. Maybe it's one of your kids. And maybe you need to go back and talk with them and show them some grace. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's your boss at work or someone who works for you. Who is it in your life that needs grace? Or maybe you don't identify with the religious leaders at all. Maybe you identify with the woman in this story. Are you violating what you know to be true? Is there something hidden in your life that nobody else knows about that is eating at your conscience? Do you desperately need grace? Maybe you're carrying around some hurt that others have caused by applying too much truth or too much grace with you. Here's what I want you to know. In any of those things that I just mentioned, God knew you were gonna be here today. And he's saying, why don't you bring that to me? Why don't you just come and talk with me about it? You know, maybe this is a moment where you need to ask forgiveness. Jesus is ready. You can whisper a prayer to him right now. Do you need help with a relationship in your life when it comes to grace or truth? Sometimes this can be really hard. God knows exactly what the situation is. This is my favorite time at Front Range right now that we're entering into. This is our response time. And we end this way every single weekend. And I think this is so critically important. It's a moment to reflect on these two questions. What is God saying to me? And what am I gonna do about it? And maybe in this time, you've never made that step toward Christ. Today's your day. It's as simple as this, saying to God, God, I need you. Please forgive me. Please come in and be the driver of my life. You know, in just a minute, we're gonna have prayer partners who are gonna be up front to pray with you. And you can share anything with them. They're ready to pray with you. During our response time, you can stay in your seat and sing with the worship. You can come forward to a prayer partner. You can even come to um, the front and just pray by yourself if you'd like to. Or maybe you need to come to the cross. We have crosses on both sides. And this is a place where you can take a piece of paper and just write something that you want to give to God today. Our cross reminds us that Jesus died for you. And anything that is a burden, anything that you need to give over to him today, that's what you can write on the paper and just pen it up there. Maybe you want to come and light a candle. We have two candle stations on each side. You just flip the switch on the bottom. There's nothing magic that happens here. But what this is, it's kind of a, a symbol of a prayer. So if you want to stand at our candle stations and just pray for someone or pray for a situation, 
and then light a candle to remind yourself God is here and he answers prayer. We also invite you to share communion with us. If you are a believer, this is the moment that we reserve for those who have asked Jesus to come in and be the Lord of their life. We come forward, we take communion, um, and you can pick it up at these stations and take it back to your seat and do that. You can do it as a family together if you're here with family members. And this is a moment just to remember what God has done for us when he sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me. We're gonna take a minute and we're gonna pray. Whatever it is that God is saying to you right now in this moment, now is the time to respond to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you with thankful hearts. Father, you are the God of wisdom. Father, whatever situation we have with a family member or a coworker, Father, at work or at home, Father, we can bring that situation to you and you promise you will give us the wisdom we need in the moment. Oh God, we thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for anyone in our auditorium right now who hasn't made that moment to step towards you. Father, right now I pray that you'll make their heartbeat just a little bit faster. God, let them know that you are here to meet them. Heavenly Father, let them know how much you love them just as they are right here today in this moment. And Father, as they whisper a prayer to you, Father, let them know that you hear them and that you are there for them. Heavenly Father, as we respond to you, Lord, Father, just give us guidance and wisdom. Father, whisper to us. Father, we're leaning in right now. We want to hear from you. Heavenly Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.